the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. We were talking earlier about how stands uh, the position of conservatism, the conservative movement in America, the culture. And uh, we have also engaged the conversation of, for those of us who, um, many millions really, who feel that an injustice took place on November 3rd, what the remedy shall be. Charles in Phoenix called in. Charles, you still there? Yep. Thanks for holding. I appreciate that you did. Um, I liked I liked what you were saying and combined it with Doug. Uh, if it was, uh, if I can paraphrase what Doug said. Yeah, those said. were great calls. Yeah, what Doug said earlier, put together with what you said, if I might, was Doug doesn't give money. He's a political donor. He doesn't give money to Republican part the Republican parties. I agree. He gives money to individual candidates who he feels care about what he's investing in, and such that he wouldn't give to the RNC, but he gave to Ted Cruz, for example. That was his example, I believe. Um, you were on to something that I gel to very much if I can um, ask you to reprise it about, you know, the kinds of people you see as worthy of representing our cause and movement going forward. You were putting together a pretty good list, whether you wrote it down or whether you were just working off the top of your head. I wouldn't mind if you didn't, since this is a top of a new hour, if you didn't just start it over again, I'll add to it. But well, I don't want to put they, words in your mouth either, so feel free to say whatever you want. Basically, the future of the party is going to be in the fighters. And Trump, if, if we become a Trump party, Trumpism, instead of a traditional Republican party, maybe that's where we're supposed to go. Maybe the Republicans are like the old Whig party. When the new, when the Republican Party came and replaced the Whig Party, but now maybe it's going to be the Trump Party replacing that because you've got Willie Gomer and Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, and even McCarthy, and I think even McConnell. He'll come along if you help him along. Lindsey Nelson, Candace Owens, uh, Christine Nome, uh, Elisa Stefanik. Um, I'm writing uh, Tom Cotton. Cotton. I'm writing these down. Uh, all these guys. And I'll tell you what else. In the days of the Civil War, it was the North that saved the Union. In this Civil War, it's going to be the South that saves the Union. And if we get those two senators in there in Georgia, that's one step. And the other one is to get behind this Texas uh lawsuit because maybe one reason why it was the other Pennsylvania one was thrown out was because it was too fragmented and too many things happening one big lawsuit 
everybody in the GOP behind it start calling to task the Democrats. And even if you lose, you lose like the Alamo. You go fighting down. You know, you and, um, you uh, you put together a good group of names. I, I wrote them down, and if I missed any, help me out. I heard Gomert, Jordan, Gates, Candace Owens, Christy Noem, uh, Lee Stefanik, Tom Cotton. I would add to that list Andy Biggs. Yes. I would add the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. Joni Ernst. Joni Ernst is a great one. Uh, there's a point to me doing this, and it's not just checking my memory, okay? There's a point I'm building to here. I, I wonder if you would put Mike Pompeo on that list. Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. That is going to be such a shame. You know, people, we've talked about this before, that people don't look at the big picture. They look at, I like Joe Biden better than Trump, and they forget about all these people. We're going to replace Pompeo with some clown like John Kerry. Right, right. And... This is right. The, this, this is, is the, the yeah, shame. Yeah, this no, is this why is, it's a tragedy. This is the shame. Now, in this list, just work with me for a second, and it's probably not big enough, quite frankly. I would also. Oh, I can think of more. Yeah, yeah. we can think of more. I would add, uh, you know, whether they want it or not, we may just have to impress them to duty. Someone like Larry Elder, frankly. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, but but in any event, some elected. No- We've got at least. What do we have? Two, at least two governors, Christy Noem and Ron DeSantis. Uh, and Greg Abbott. Uh, yes, right, right. Governor of Texas Abbott. My point is that I was building to and writing these names down. Um, I think we have, do we have more than one U.S. Senator? Just Tom Cotton, Joni Ernst. You gave me Joni Ernst. There are others. We'll think of them, too. Uh, Ted Cruz, to be sure, right? Ted Cruz. That's three senators. Uh, the gal from uh, Tennessee. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I, I know. Marcia, her name is Marcia, Marcia, Bla- Marcia Blackburn. Right, okay. So we've got something like four senators, three governors, and we're and we admittedly know we're leaving people off. We know we're not coming up with everyone that is a deep bench a deeper bench than we have had in a long time because the point i don't want us to forget you're talking about the republican party may go the way of the Whigs. we're looking for the fighters the truth is you've heard me on this before the truth is our history is not one dominated by fighters we've had three in your lifetime three in your lifetime who were nominees to the party right name them right trump Give me another. Well, you mean talking about the guys that ran for president? Who got the nomination in the Republican Party? Trump? Well, you have the two Bushes. No, fighters. 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 Okay, you've got Reagan. That's it. You've got Trump. Yeah, and Goldwater. Three. And Goldwater. Right. You had three. They were mold breakers. They ran against the establishment. The establishment, Reagan, was not the establishment in 80 any more than he was in 76. Right. They were fighting against the establishment. You got three. My point in saying that is understanding that our Republican Party, those have been our heroes, but they have also been our exceptions. They are our exceptions. They are our heroes, but they are exceptions. Exactly. Two got in, one didn't. Two out of three. And thank God for that two out of three. And one had two terms one looks looks like it's one term and one you know barry goldwater was also at a time when arizona arizona would have been like texas is today a few years back when we had barry goldwater and john Rhodes right and john kyle right 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 right. people like that no this is yeah no people don't understand arizona isn't arizona anymore um but but 
My point is this. When we had fighters, we changed the movement. And for a little while, we changed the party. But the party itself has always struggled with those people. We look back now, and not we, you and me, because we're conservatives, but the vast majority of the party looks back now and considers people like Reagan and Goldwater heroes. At the time, they were running against the establishment. At the time, they were running against the establishment. My point is we've always had that problem. So what we have never done, what we have never done, and I think now more than ever is the time to do, is to ensure that whether you want to call them Goldwaterites, Reaganites, Trumpism, whatever you want to call it, is that's yeah. what has to be taught to the party as what the conservative movement wants. The conservative movement has always carried the Republican Party as a cross to bear. As Can I always, throw this one, other, yeah, yeah, go ahead. this one other thing in? Yeah. Where Republicans make a mistake, where the establishment Republicans make a mistake, and you got into it a little bit yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, with the caller when you talked about um, how the Democrats always like the Republicans when they're harmless. Right, when they're dead or no longer running for office. We have to teach Republicans that their duty... And their ability to please the Democrats is never going to come. Right. And right. you you saw uh, Nancy Pelosi said today the other day that the virus, uh, the vaccine is no good until Biden is president. The the uh, the That's stimulus, the stimulus. Yeah. They get away right. with it. Right. 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 They do put party over country. This is all so much nonsense when Biden says, I don't care what state you're from. I'm president of all the states. That's not what Nancy Pelosi believes. By the way, during this call, I got another suggestion by email from a listener, Rick Grinnell. It's 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 big and diverse. When you throw in Rick Grinnell, the former ambassador under Trump, Rick, people like Rick Grinnell to these names, Tom Cotton, uh, DeSantis, just this whole list, Candace, yeah. uh, these new Congress people that were elected. Um, in California and Utah, this new freedom uh, movement in Congress. Uh, th this this is a um, this is a diverse and bigger bench than we're used to having. And you still have Bill Bennett and Newt Gingrich and and some of the old timers. You do that are young thinkers. You do, and you have Laura Ingram, and you have uh, you know Tucker Carlson. I John. Mean, yeah. Who? Sean Hannity. You have Sean. Ha of course, you have you have got right now at this moment more potential on our bench than I can remember in a really long time, a really long time. It's and, you know, oddly no. enough, the Democrats struggle with finding people on the bench. And they <laughs> they go to a 78 year old. Yeah. 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 And the media says nothing because they're Democrats. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, brother. What a great and uplifting call, Charles. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. Bless you, sir. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 
1-800-848-6060. Dana is in Chandler. Hello, Dana. Oh, before I mention, Dana, thanks. Just one quick second. I have to mention another name. Someone emailed me to the list. It's growing list, and I'm glad to add it. Dan Crenshaw. The point is being made by the moment. There is a bigger and bigger bench than we realize. Sorry, Dana and Chandler. Go right ahead. Well, thank you. That was interesting. I, the list goes on and on. There's probably a few that I could think of that... Yeah, no, I, I know we I know we are being stinting here. I, I have, I don't know what I wrote down, maybe 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I wrote down 20 names, and it still grows. That's pretty. That's something to be pretty optimistic yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the reason why I'm calling is I, I, I don't know how to handle a situation, and I'm hoping maybe you can arm Oh, I love these kinds of calls. With information. I love so, it. Good. You might not, but we'll see. Um, I was reading an article today in the Minneapolis Star and Tribune that my <laughs> old high school, Henry okay. Sibley Senior High School, um, they have voted to change its name because apparently Henry Sibley, who was one of Minnesota's early governors, um, killed Indians or was a bad dude or something. So, you know, they have to erase the history of it and change it. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I asked my mom um, about that. And she said, well, I think it's a good thing. And I said, really? I said, um, you know, so are they going to have to rename everything? Because there's Sibley Memorial Highway, there's a Sibley House, there's a Sibley County. That you know, the list goes on. So my mother's reaction was very interesting, and this is the part that I don't know how to handle. And she says it's not changing history. She said it's just finally recognizing that quite a few of the venerated white guys were bastards. She said we need to change the Thanksgiving story too. A lot of the history has been distorted. And it was untrue to suit white society. Why do we not teach in school that this country never honored one treaty with the Indians? Not a single one. And she says, why are we lied to about so many things the government does not want us to know? And this is the part that really scared me the most. She said, you make quantum leaps when you assume history is fact. And then she went on to say that good old Tom Jefferson, a slave owner and a rapist. And I asked my mother, if you hate white men so much, why are you married to one? And I said, you have white men as grandchildren and a great grandchild. And I said, you're free to give away your property, your home. You know, if you believe you're living on stolen land, give it back. No one is stopping you from giving it back. And she says, her her response is, don't continue this. Who I was when I was 19 and who I am now does not equate. And she says, I'm sad to think that you see the world as you do. How, this is my mother. How, How can one have a conversation even? Or where does one start? You know, so a couple things tear at me here because this is uh, you, 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 you are sharing an experience that is replicated by tens of thousands of people, brothers, sisters, oh, mothers, I'm parents, sure. <clears throat> and we get occasional calls about it. And I think <clears throat> depending on the level of um, relationship you want with your siblings, my, my, my siblings are in the professoriate at schools that I would not send my children to because I think of them as indoctrination farms. And so my siblings and I don't have political conversations because we realize that there is more life to life than just politics. 
say that on the one hand. On the other hand, people like me also believe, I think maybe you, I don't want to speak for you, that politics is of some of the most import of anything in a culture or a society because it determines how we live and how we're going to raise our families in the first place. Right. I agree. So I believe in the end, however, that if the relationship is important to you, the parental relationship, the familial relationship is important to you, it may be a, it may be an appropriate thing to have a political free zone. I mean, I have to tell you, when someone tells me that Henry Sibley um, should not have his name on a school because this what he did or with with Native American population or Indians, and the school doesn't teach that, I have to ask, how does she know? Then how did she find out? No, really, really, really. How did she find out? And is there any use if because I I don't doubt at all that the Sibley School in Minneapolis is much like the um, the uh, the uh, Carroll School in Baltimore. I, I, I would bet you 90% of the people don't know who Carol or Sibley were who go there. Oh, I'm sure not. Right? They just don't. It's not, right. you know, it, the, the, which is in, in itself unfortunate. In itself, that's unfortunate. But the idea that we have to rewrite Thanksgiving, I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to examine that proposition. Why? For what well, good? For what good? Well, it's a quantum leap to assume that history is fact. She says that fact. that's her point. Yeah, she says you make a quantum leap when leap when you assume history is fact. Okay, I don't even know what that means to be honest with you, Dana. I really don't even know what that means. I mean, who is helped, aided, or fixed by rewriting the Thanksgiving story? I, 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 it's, it's the same question about taking the Redskins off the Washington football team. It's a privately owned team, and if the owner wants to do that, fine. But did it come from academics, or did it actually come from Native Americans who were offended? The answer is the first, not the second. Right. And I worry about these spokesmen for causes on behalf of people who don't agree with the causes their spokesmen are trying to say they should believe in. No no one is harmed. Nothing is harmed or upset by the Thanksgiving story we read or know of from you name it. Let's take the Peanuts television show. No one is harmed by that. It hurts and harms no one. It doesn't break anyone's leg or pick anyone's pocket. It's a beautiful story. You want to take away a beautiful story from America, that's going to cause a lot of harm. And I can't help but think that's exactly what the left is trying to do. And you see it in sharp relief with the 1619 Project. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. no one There's no one who studies 1776 or 1964 or 1864. There's no one who goes to school or has gone to school in America in the last hundred years 
that didn't know we made compromises for a constitution that would work its way out in the ultimate ending of an extinction of slavery and that we weren't perfect at 1776. What most people don't know is that with 1776, we promised to become everything, and with the effort to get rid of it, we promised to become nothing. And we can end up just one nihilistic country that has no history and no fact. I, I, Dana, I, I don't know how to reason with someone like that. I say preserve the relationship and leave the politics out of it. I think, I think. Happy to be told I'm wrong. I take it every single day, Balance of Nature. It's the only thing I take. It's my favorite product I've ever taken or endorsed. It's the most effective whole food supplement on the market. One daily dose gives you tens of thousands of vital nutrients. All good stuff. Bananas, blueberries, oranges, spinach, carrots, broccoli. And they have a great deal right now. Just a really good deal. Free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and make sure to use discount code balance. I'm going to play some audio in the next segment from Dennis Prager. It's from his Prager University uh, lecture series or course series um, about the Marxism around us today. And I, there's probably not a radio show, maybe his outside of his or mine, where we talk more about socialism and Marxism. And the reason we do is because it's here. We mean it. And it exists not just amorphously, as it might have in various disparate small groups, scattered groups, unorganized groups in the 50s and 60s and 70s in America, but in a major political party in America, the Democratic Party today. And one of the reasons I want to play this is I want you to identify it. As much as I talk about it, I often will quote Marxist texts and apply them to contemporary jargon. It's been going on for some time, but now it has a home, as Shakespeare said, to give airy abstraction a habitation and a name. Well, airy abstraction in Marxism has been given a habitation and a name here in America part in America, in the Democratic Party. Diversity is demanded by those who will tolerate no deviation from the politically correct, Harry Jaffa writes. And what is political correctness but another name for the party line? It is Leninism, Stalinism, without Lenin or Stalin. Racism is the generic term for any kind of false, formerly bourgeoisie consciousness. That is to say, for any opinions not considered politically correct, has nothing to do with what was once called race prejudice, an unreasonable depreciation of other human beings because of their race or color or ethnic origin. The charge of racism is made by the very people demanding racial quotas, race norming, and segregated racial and ethnic ceremonies and centers and workplaces. To point out the contradiction in these demands, or indeed of any demands made by the politically correct, is to bring on the accusations of logism, which means the use of reason, a vice-held characteristic of Eurocentrism. 
The contempt for Eurocentrism as an endemic vice corresponds closely to Marx's contempt for the false consciousness engendered in the ruling classes of all societies founded upon private property. Racism itself is then nothing but the endemic quality of human consciousness prior to the transformation of human egotism into human altruism. Political correctness is nothing less than the blind and willful insistence upon the fulfillment of the goals of revolutionary Marxism-Leninism without any reference to that failed enterprise itself or to any rational political analysis at all. Indeed, the new political correctness differs from its predecessor only in its insistence that no reason needs to be given as to why it is correct. Just saying it makes it so, puts you in the right camp, having you speak Pravda truth. It is a synthesis of the goals of Marxism with the philosophical horizon of nihilism. And if you don't think it's here, listen to Raphael Warnock. Go read some of his sermons or listen to some of his sermons. If you don't think it's here, listen to Jeremiah Wright who Barack Obama is now defending and praising, though condemning for the same words in 2008. If you don't think it's here, ask yourself why the Speaker of the House of Representatives, third in line to the presidency or second in line to the presidency, third or second most powerful person in the world, gives subvention and money to members of the squad who say themselves they are socialists. If you don't think it's here, ask yourself why leaders in major cities in this country embraced, marched with, and emblazoned on their streets the symbols and statements and initials of a movement whose very founders bragged about being trained Marxists. It's here. The question is whether we're going to recognize it and what we're going to do about it. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Dennis Prager has a bigger and better distillation than I. Just dawned on me, part of Meatloaf's magic is his emphasis of consonants. It's interesting what he does there. There are other great broadcasters who do that. Rush is one of them. If you're in the real estate market, either selling or buying, I want you to call my friend James Wexler of JMG Real Estate. Even if you're in the midst of selling your home and it's not going well, call James Wexler. He can flip that script. He guarantees to sell your home at market value or pay the difference. He can also make you an upfront guaranteed offer within 24 hours of reaching out to him. No risk to you. He'll always let you out of his con uh, any contract at any time. He has a private database of homes. He has a proprietary state-of-the-art marketing technology. He's great. I have a lot of friends who have used him. They think of him as highly as I do. Give James Wexler a call at 480-386-0711 or visit him online at jameswexler.com. That's James Wexler, W-E-X-L-E-R.com. As promised, Professor Dennis Prager. Why does the left hate Israel? On the surface, it doesn't make sense. 
Israel is a liberal democracy. It extends full rights to women, to gays, and to its many Arab citizens. Like all countries which are made up of flawed human beings, Israel is flawed. But compared to most countries, not to mention its neighbors, it is a civil rights paradise. So why does the left hate Israel? The reason is that the left, and as I always emphasize, I am talking about the left, not about liberals, is not guided by a moral compass. It is guided by three other compasses, a power compass, a race compass, and a class compass. Let's begin with the power compass. Instead of evaluating people and nations on the basis of right and wrong or good and evil, the left evaluates them on the basis of weak and strong. If you're weak, you're good. If you're strong, you're bad. Israel is strong, therefore it is bad. America is strong, therefore it is bad. The Palestinians are regarded as weak, therefore they're good. When you're guided by a moral compass, you don't ask who's strong and who's weak. You ask who's morally right and who's morally wrong. Fifty years ago, Israel was not a big issue for the left. Why? Because it was perceived as weak. But after the 1967 Six-Day War, in which Israel achieved a stunning military victory, it all changed. Israel became strong, so Israel became bad. And the Palestinians were weak, so they became good. So no matter how much terror Palestinians engaged in, hijacking airplanes, murdering 11 Israeli athletes and coaches at the 1972 Munich Olympics, blowing up Israelis in pizza parlors and at weddings, the left's position never changed. Palestinians good, Israel bad, because the Palestinians were weak, and Israel was strong. That's one of the three ways the left judges the world. You can test this theory in other ways. Why is the United States bad? Because it's strong. And third world countries that oppose the United States are good. Cuba, for example, has been adored by the left for decades. Never mind that Cuba's Communist Party has ruined Cuba, that Cubans have no civil rights, and Cuba is one of the poorest countries in the world. Since Cuba is weak... To the left, Cuba is good. The same was true with North Vietnam in the 1960s. It was considered weak, so it was good. The U.S. was strong, so it was bad. It didn't matter that America was trying to preserve the freedom of the South Vietnamese exactly as it had preserved the freedom of the South Koreans. The U.S. was strong, so it was bad. Which brings us back to Israel. The stronger Israel gets as it effectively defends itself, as its economy grows, and as its diplomatic position improves, the more the left hates it. The second of the left's compasses, the race compass, is another reason the left hates Israel. Just as it substitutes weak and strong for good and evil, the left substitutes non-white and white for good and evil. The left doesn't judge people by their actions, but by their race. That's why, for example, the left asserts that a black person cannot be a racist. Only a white person can be a racist. And that provides the second reason Israel is labeled evil. Israelis are considered white, and Palestinians are not white. Never mind that more than half of Israel's population is not white. The result? 
The left essentially ignores Palestinian terror and loudly condemns Israel's responses to terror. Now to the left's third compass, the class compass. This is the third way in which the left replaces traditional Western and Judeo-Christian categories of good and evil. Instead of judging people's actions by the same moral yardstick, that of good and evil, the left judges people's actions based on their economic class. Rich people and rich nations are bad. Poor people and poor nations are good. This began with Karl Marx, who divided the world by economic class, not moral behavior. To Marx and to Marxism, good and evil is entirely class-based. Good is defined as workers, evil as owners. And that is the third reason for the left's hatred of Israel and of America. They are both wealthy. As fewer and fewer people perceive the world in terms of good and evil, substituting a power, race, or class compass for a moral compass, you will inevitably get more evil and more hatred of the good, beginning with Israel and America and ending with Western civilization. I'm Dennis Prager. I hope you see what he does there, and he used Israel as basically uh, the canary in the coal mine of analyzing because America's too big or too hard sometimes to do this with the claims of the left and the claims of Marxism, breaking it down along the three lines Marx has traditionally, Karl Marx and his followers have traditionally used, dividing humans by three things, power, race, and economics. Power, race, and economics. Race is the biggest one here. Power in foreign relation. And, of course, economics to the Democratic Party tied to race here. This is what we're facing, and it is all counterpoised and opposed to the way we thought we started this country, which was a commitment to humans as humans, irrespective of race, economy, or strength. More in just a second. want to thank uh, my producer, Pro Tem, Chris Llewellyn, again, for manning the um, ship today. Thank you, Chris. Um, in summing up these last few segments, I want you to think about the difference between the Marxism of the Democratic Party today and where I started in my monologue, which was the gratitude we used to have over winning the lottery, basically, most of us, winning the lottery by simply, by dint of simply being born here. And those who have moved here and become legal residents or citizens, having won that lottery in a world of nearly 8 billion people to be a privileged part of the 331 million in a country dedicated to the proposition that all humans are created equal, recognized that our liberty comes not from government, our rights come not from government, but from God. And what a revolution that truly was to say so in founding ourselves along those lines. 
first country in the history of the world to declare its sovereignty and independence not on a theology or divine right of kings or bloodlines, but on that notion, human equality and rights that come from God. Doesn't mean the government doesn't have a, an obligation role or role or duty here. It does. It's to protect those rights, promising citizens justice, tranquility, domestic tranquility, defense, and a securing of our blessings. Over seven mil, excuse me, over seven billion people don't have that. It's our obligation not to throw it away. That would be the greatest of wastes. Until tomorrow, God bless you. I am Seth Leapson, class dismissed. <laughs>